Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Historical Resources and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on the program, we'll remember Juanita Evangeline Moore, daughter of slain civil rights activists Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore. The announcement was made by my uncle at the train station that the house had been bombed, my dad was dead, and my mother was in the hospital. Fifty-five years before the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, the real first Thanksgiving was held in Florida. There are actually only two written narratives of the account that that survive today. It's believed that uh, Menendez might have a written narrative that survived for at least a few decades, but it's lost now. We don't know where it is. And we'll discuss the exhibition Resilience, Remembering Pulse. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. It seems I hear Harry Moore from the earth, his voice still cries. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold, for freedom never dies. Freedom never dies, I say. Freedom never dies. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold, for freedom never dies. It happened in Florida, the land of flowers. It was on a Christmas night. Men came stealing through the orange grove. Men of hate carrying dynamite. It was to a little cottage, the family, the name of Moore. At the window hung sprigs of holly, a fine wreath at the door. It was on a Christmas evening and the family prayers were said. Mother, father, daughter, and grandmother went to bed. The father's name was Harry Moore of the NAACP. He fought for the life for us to live. Black folk must be free. The Ballad of Harry Moore by Langston Hughes tells the story of slain civil rights activist and educator Harry T. Moore, who was killed when a bomb exploded under his home in Mims, Florida on Christmas night, 1951. His wife Harriet died nine days later from injuries sustained in the blast. The Moore's daughter, Juanita Evangeline Moore, dedicated her life to preserving her parents' legacy as the first martyrs of the contemporary civil rights movement. Evangeline Moore died on October 26, 2015, and was buried next to her parents at LaGrange Cemetery in Mims. Moore arrived at her parents' home site from Washington, D.C., two days after it had been bombed in 1951. Photographs from the Florida State Archives show what she saw that day, a home so severely damaged by the bomb that it was knocked off of its foundation. Evangeline Moore has discussed her parents' legacy on this program several times. A few years ago, we spoke in a replica of her family home that sits where the original home once stood. As she looked around the reconstructed house, it brought mixed emotions for her. Yes, but mostly pleasant ones because uh, it looks so much nicer 
I remember when I came home uh, that Christmas, I arrived on the 27th of December, and one of the first stops we made after the announcement was made by my uncle at the train station that the house had been bombed, my dad was dead, and my mother was in the hospital. I did come back to the house. Uh, it was, I can't, I can't explain the feeling that I had. I walked in the front door, and as you can see, I could see my parents' bedroom. Big hole, and the the mattress and the bed and everything was in that hole, and parts of the ceiling rafters was all there. Um, I walked to the dining room looked in our bedroom, my sister's in my bedroom, and I saw that uh, her, her bed was really under the double windows in there. Um, it was filled with just finely slivered glass. And I knew at that moment that had I been home, she would have been dead also, so I, I couldn't go any further. So to come back and see it looking very much like the house was. It's very comforting. After seeing her family home nearly destroyed, Evangeline Moore never returned. There are photographs of Evangeline Moore as a young girl in and around her family home, sitting on the front porch and at the dining room table. Now that the replica of her family home is complete, she says it allows her to focus on pleasant memories. I don't know really how to explain, but there was so much love and, and, and just, just a house full of love. And, of course, I helped my dad a lot with the work that he was doing with the NAACP and the Progressive Voters League. My sister was an avid reader, and she took very little part in any of the work that dad was doing. She, she was always in a corner somewhere reading a book. Uh, but the 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 love between my sister and me was something that was very very unusual. Even though we were very different in nature, um, and my mother, I mean, she was she was an absolute angel. And I I can just remember the the love and the warmth that surrounded me while I was here. And my, my parents were very affectionate, both to my sister and me and to themselves, because I remember oftentimes just we were walking through the house, and I, I could actually see my parents in any room in the house, and they would be embracing. And I thought, that's something that doesn't happen too often. But it has, it has gone with me throughout my lifetime. I was never fortunate to have that type of relationship. But I remembered the, the love and warmth that I felt in this house and the caring that um, coming back and seeing it very much like it was is, is a tremendous, tremendous uh, joy and a comfort to me. An antique typewriter sits on a small table next to where Evangeline Moore and I spoke. Harry T. Moore was a prolific letter writer, calling for investigations into lynchings in Florida and working for the NAACP. 
While he traveled around the state registering African Americans to vote and encouraging membership in the NAACP, he did his writing from his home in Mims. Evangeline Moore says she didn't realize the significance of his work at the time. No, I didn't. He was just, to me, he was just daddy. And I knew, I mean, I knew that he was doing some work, but I didn't recognize the the tremendous effect that it was having on citizens of America until after he was dead and I was, you know, after actually after Ben Green wrote his book, it was only then that I realized the magnitude of the work that my dad had done. Although I helped him because I can remember running off sample ballots on the ditto machine and addressing envelopes and licking envelopes and licking stamps and of course always trailing behind my dad when he would go to the post office to mail them. I knew he was doing something that was very important but um, I just didn't at that time realize exactly the magnitude of what he was doing. The Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore Cultural Complex includes a civil rights museum as well as the Moore Family Home Replica. Most recently, the Moore Center unveiled a meditation garden, reflecting pool, and gazebo. Water flows over quotes from Harry T. Moore and Martin Luther King, Jr. The story of Harry T. Moore has gained much more recognition over the past decade, beginning with the Ben Green book Before His Time, The Untold Story of Harry T. Moore, America's First Civil Rights Martyr, and the PBS documentary Freedom Never Dies. Annual recognitions include a memorial at the Moore grave site and the Moore Heritage Festival of the Arts and Humanities. Although all this is a step in the right direction, Evangeline Moore says her parents still don't get the recognition they deserve. They deserve a whole lot more. They really do. It, he, he has not really been given the recognition that he should have, particularly here in the United States. This is a start, but he, I mean, he should be... He should be far, I mean, there should be stories about him even above Martin Luther King because Dad laid the foundation for what Martin Luther King ultimately was able to do himself. And I think it's a shame that uh, every time Black History Week, um, a month and all this stuff, Dad should be at the top of the list when you start talking about people who gave their lives so that black people could have equal rights. In addition to the home replica and museum at the Moore Cultural Complex in Mims, Florida, the Moors are remembered with a display at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Bill Gary, president of the Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore Cultural Complex, was instrumental in getting the Moors represented in the National Museum. It was very gratifying for him that Evangeline Moore lived long enough to see the replica of her home in Mims. It was, Ben. Uh, it, it was um, actually a, uh, a tear-jerking type uh, event because uh, once the house was completed and we had everything in here, uh, we gave her a private tour before we had the ribbon cut it for And uh, the thing that she said, which... Um, you know, touched me so much 
was that I'm finally home. Because prior to that, she had no home to go back to. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, her home was bombed in 1951, uh, was never rebuilt. Uh, she left and for many years never even came back to Florida. Ben Green is author of the book, Before His Time, The Untold Story of Harry T. Moore, America's First Civil Rights Martyr. Evangeline just buried this away for 40 years and repressed it. I mean, she told me that she and her sister Peaches never even talked about it. I mean, Peaches died in 1972, so 20 years go by. They never spoke of it. It was just too horrifying to look at. I think the attention that her parents got, therapy that she went through, that she said she had to really work through how much she had repressed all this, um, finally allowed her to really come out from that veil of sorrow and, and really repression of it. And I think it was the most fulfilling thing that happened in her life was those last 15 or 20 years of really seeing and being part of and really picking up the mantle of her father to spread the word about the causes that he fought for. The Moore Cultural Complex is located on Freedom Avenue in Mims, just north of Titusville in North Brevard County. Juanita Evangeline Moore, daughter of Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore, died on October 26, 2015. She was buried next to her parents at LaGrange Cemetery in Mims. It seems I hear Harry Moore from the earth, his voice still cries. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold, for freedom never dies. Freedom never dies, I say, freedom never dies. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold, for freedom never dies. When will people in Jesus' name and when will they by prayer know that each one has the right to stand up everywhere? When will people for the sake of peace and the sake of democracy know that no bomb you can make can stop us from being free? It seems I hear Harry Moore from the earth, his voice still cries. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold, for freedom never dies. So if you see our Harry Moore walking on a Christmas night, don't you fear and run and hide, he has no dynamite. For in his heart is only love for all the human race. All he wants is for each of us to have our rightful place. And this he says, our Harry Moore, as from the grave he cries. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold, for freedom never dies. Freedom never dies, I say, freedom never dies. No bomb can kill the dreams I hold for freedom never dies. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us anytime on the web at myfloridahistory.org to find great books on Florida history and culture, read our Florida Frontiers blog, and become a member of the Florida Historical Society.
You'll receive our journal, the Florida Historical Quarterly, and much more. You can also find us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society to get our daily posts today in Florida history. If you miss an episode of Florida Frontiers on the radio, subscribe to the Florida Frontiers podcast using your favorite podcast app. We've come to the time in the season where family and friends gather near to offer a prayer of thanksgiving for blessings we've known through the years. Join hands and thank the Creator Now when Thanksgiving is due This year when I count my blessings Thanking the Lord He made you Fifty-five years before the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, Spanish colonists in St. Augustine shared a feast of Thanksgiving with Native Americans in Florida. Joining us now is Ben DiBiase, Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. Ben, you have some rare books here that indicate that the real first Thanksgiving took place right here in Florida. Yeah, and it's a, a really an interesting uh, point in, in the history of the Spanish presence in Florida. And most people who are interested in Florida history and, and scholars are familiar with the 1565 Spanish expedition of uh, Pedro Menendez de Aviles when he established uh, St. Augustine. But what's sort of a, an interesting side note is that as part of that expedition, when they first met with the native people um, and established the town, they held a small mass, a small service on the site that is now St. Anastasia Island. So it's actually on the barrier island of where modern St. Augustine is now. But they also dined with the Indians and had what we would consider sort of the first Thanksgiving, if you will, sort of the first meeting and actual sitting down at the table and, and breaking bread, if you will, with the native peoples of, of Northeast Florida. Now, one of the sources you have for this uh, real first Thanksgiving is from uh, historian Michael Gannon. Yeah, that's right. And, and Dr. Gannon has for decades really been the, the preeminent scholar uh, on not only the Catholic presence in, in Florida, but also the early colonial presence. And uh, he published a book in the 1960s entitled uh, Cross in the Sand, which is still, it's actually still in print today. And it's one of the best sources for the uh, the history of the Catholic and Spanish presence in Florida. But he uh, actually went through a lot of the original, um, original accounts and pieced together what this first Thanksgiving dinner would have actually looked like. And he used a couple of sources. Uh, that we know of, there are actually only two written narratives of the of the account that that survive today. It's it's believed that uh, Menendez might have uh, a written narrative that that uh, survived for at least a few decades, but it, it's lost now. We don't know where it is. But one of those accounts was from the uh, priest who was on the expedition. Father Francisco uh, Lopez, who there's actually a statue of him up in, in St. Augustine now. Um, the other gentleman was a, a doctor, Dr. Gonzalo Solas de Meras, and he was actually Pedro Menendez's brother-in-law, and he was the official recorder of the, of the expedition. And it's interesting because both men picked up different aspects of the, of the meeting. For instance, Father Francisco Lopez obviously officiated the, the ceremony, and he talks about the Indians mimicking the, the Spanish, you know, when they were bowing down in front of the cross. And according to his account, it seemed like the Indians were, were intrigued and interested, but don't, weren't really sure what was going on. Uh, but in the Solas de Meras account, he actually talks about uh, Menendez uh, feeding and dining with the Indians, and then uh, after the Mass was said, they dined, and then Menendez sort of went on his way, and, and they went about continuing to build the fort at St. Augustine. 
Now, just as an interesting uh, sidebar, uh, the one of the copies of The Cross on the Sand by Michael Gannon that you have in the uh, Florida Historical Society archived is actually uh, originally inscribed to uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Yeah, that's right. And that's another kind of interesting aspect of, of one of our items in our collection. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, looks like it was given to Marjorie Stillman Douglas sometime in the late 1970s, 1978. Although the book we have is a second edition, so it was printed in 1967. Marjorie Douglas must have uh, ran into him at some point and happened to have the book. And, and he wrote a little inscription here that said, uh, with the admiration and kindest wishes of Michael V. Gannon. And it's dated here in November 16, 1978. Now, as you mentioned, Michael Gannon uh, quotes Father Francisco Lopez, the priest who gave the first Mass in St. Augustine just before this Thanksgiving feast in 1565 and and other contemporary sources as well. Gannon was using uh, primary source material, as you said, but you also have some of that in the archive. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I had mentioned the uh, Solas de Medas account, and it was originally published in Spain and in the Spanish language shortly after the expedition, 1567, and it was lost for centuries. And it actually wasn't fully published until 1893, but it was still published in Spanish. But in the 1920s, a uh, historian, a Florida historian by the name of uh, Jeanette Thurber Connor, who was a member of the Florida State Historical Society, another contemporary organization with the Florida Historical Society, translated the entire account. That translation is what Dr. Gannon used as a primary source. And it is, to this date, far I know it's the only English translation of that eyewitness account. Now, historian Michael Gannon has said that the real first Thanksgiving in Florida consisted of a stew of salted pork and garbanzo beans with ship's bread and and red wine. I think I'm going to stick with uh, the Pilgrim's menu this year. Yeah, I'll have to agree with you there. I think the canned cranberries uh, sound a little bit better than uh, the peas and and hard bread. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. I'll kiss you goodbye and I'll go on my way Grateful for all of the years Thank you for all that you gave me For teaching me what love can do Thanksgiving Day for the rest of my life Thanking the Lord He made me Thanksgiving Day for the rest of my life Thanking the Lord He made you This is Florida Frontiers. The victims of the horrific mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando were commemorated with the exhibition Resilience, Remembering Pulse. Holly Baker is a student in the public history program at the University of Central Florida. Remembering Pulse was an exhibition that the University of Central Florida Art Gallery did in collaboration with the Citizen Curator Project of Central Florida in commemoration of the one-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre on June 12, 2016. The exhibit brought together work by community members, students, faculty, alumna, staff, anyone really who wanted to participate in the exhibit could submit work, and we had about 70 objects in the exhibit and the show was up for a month over the summer. That was art historian Dr. Carrie Watson talking about the exhibit she recently curated, Resilience, Remembering Pulse. The exhibit at the University of Central Florida Art Gallery presented photographs, quilts, paintings, 
films and installations as a response to the tragedy that occurred on June 12, 2016, during which 49 people lost their lives in a mass shooting at a popular LGBTQ nightclub in Orlando, Florida. The purpose of the exhibit was to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the Pulse tragedy and to document the community's unified response to it. Dr. Watson tells us more about the role of remembrance during the Pulse exhibit. We had kind of an organizing principle of remembrance, resilience, and resistance. Commemoration, remembrance has long been part of memorials. Many people came to the site of the nightclub and left candles and pebbles and balloons, stuffed animals, uh, notes and letters, and the Orange County Regional History Center collected all of those materials and archived them, and we had photographs of those objects that we could include in the show. We also had a memorial tree with the names of the victims, and then people could write messages and add to that, so remembrance is an important part. Another unifying theme of the Pulse exhibit was resilience. As Dr. Watson explains, while honoring the victims from the Pulse shooting, quilts became colorful symbols of resilience. For resilience, we also had the idea of including quilts that were made by the Orlando Modern Quilt Guild. And they made some 2,000 quilts, and quilts were sent in from around the country that went to um, victims, families, and first responders, and people touched by the tragedy. We had six of the quilts hanging, and then we had a projection of images of um, about 400 of the quilts that we put together that were just projecting on a loop. So that is an important element, I think, of uh, recovery, working through a tragedy such as this. Dr. Watson tells us that the final element of the exhibit was a focus on resistance and the community's ability to overcome adversity. We also, though, had works that were kind of about resisting the hatred that is the impetus for a, a massacre such as the Pulse nightclub shooting. So we had a piece that was about gun violence that had one plaster casing for everyone who was killed by gun violence in the year 2016. We had angel action wings that were made for the Angel Action Wing Project. And of course, those were made in order to shield mourners from the Westboro Baptist Church protesters who came and spewed their vitriol at people. And so that that was a, a sign of resistance, the angel action wings. And uh, then we also had a piece that uh, was about the history of LGBTQ oppression in the United States. And uh, this project looked to take a homosexual manual that was used by psychiatrists in the 50s to uh, like conversion therapy and took the pages out of that book and then people redacted the text and made their own poems. Um, and the pages were in the shape of a heart. So that was a great kind of action of resistance um, that was in the piece as well. And there were also stories, photographs and stories. We had more than one artist who did kind of a photo essay project with pictures, photographs of survivors, um, and their stories. Resilience, Remembering Pulse, shows how art can help a community heal. Through remembrance, resilience, and resistance, Orlando's strength and unity triumphed over hatred and violence. The exhibit was made possible by the Citizen Curator Project of Central Florida and the Institute of Museum and Library Services. It was on display at the UCF Art Gallery in Orlando during the summer of 2017. It is now permanently archived as an online exhibit to remember and honor the victims of the Pulse tragedy. For more information about the artists and their artwork, go to www.cah.ucf.edu citizen curator. 
For Florida Frontiers, I'm Holly Baker, a student in the public history program at the University of Central Florida. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Visit us anytime on the web to listen to archived editions of this program, watch our public television series, Florida Frontiers, and much more. Production assistance for Florida Frontiers comes from Ben DiBiase and Robert Casanello. The program is edited by John White. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Historical Resources and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.